Thank you for returning tonight, and a special thank you to the young people that are here. I know you've had a long and a grueling weekend, so thank you for returning and coming back to hear the Word of God tonight. Our consideration is the grace of God, and I'm often impressed, if you will, if we can use that kind of terminology by the working of a sovereign God. Certainly appreciated our offertory tonight that uh, emphasized the grace of God that's needed to uh, remain faithful to Him. And then uh, for our ministry of music, uh, for uh, that exhortion concerning grace and this grace of salvation and also the grace that leads us home. Uh, So uh, certainly our music tonight was very appropriate as we think about grace, and uh, it impresses me because it wasn't coordinated at all. They didn't know what I was going to speak on, but that's the attribute that we're going to consider together tonight. The question is, how are God's grace, mercy, and patience to be differentiated? They are closely related ideas. In fact, God's mercy, patience, and grace may be seen as three separate attributes or as specific aspects of God's goodness. So we can look at God's goodness and then consider grace, mercy, and patience as subsets of that goodness, or we could see them as four different attributes. And uh, as I uh, put here on the page, uh, I want to give credit to Stephen Charnock for a lot of these ideas come from him. He was a Puritan <coughs> preacher and has written a seminal work on uh, the attributes of God. Uh, It's a two-volume work entitled uh, The Existence and Attributes of God. (coughs) And I have the definitions given here show these attributes as specific examples of God's goodness when it is used for the benefit of specific classes of people. Grace is God's unmerited or unearned favor, giving to individuals what they do not deserve, earn, or merit, It says nothing about their individual's condition. Mercy is God's inclination to relieve the misery of people. It presupposes their distress and is the tender regard that he has for them in their plight. A good synonym for mercy would be pity. Patience is God's endurance with people prior to judgment. So, let me give some examples. God's mercy is God's goodness toward those who are in misery and in distress. And I said a good synonym for mercy would be pity. It would be as though we were walking down the street and we'd see a homeless individual that is residing under a cardboard box. Uh, Obviously in need, uh, a person who uh, is not well clothed, Uh, looks like they're hungry, and we're moved to have compassion on them. We have pity on them. We have mercy on them because of their plight, because of their situation. And so we show goodness to them. Uh, We provide for them. Uh, That's mercy. Grace is God's goodness towards those who do not deserve it, regardless of their condition. So grace simply means unmerited favor. 
So, an illustration I've used before. I like to use them over and over again. Hopefully, eventually, they'll stick with you. But the illustration I give of grace is, if I were to distribute $100 bills to everyone that was here tonight, that would be grace. Didn't deserve it. I didn't ask you to work for it. I didn't ask you to do any for it. I would just move to give you $100. That's grace. Some people here may really need that $100. They may need uh, that for, for food the next day. They may look at that and say, wow, that's tremendous. Uh, I didn't know where my next meal was coming from. Somebody else, they have all the money they need. They have no issues. They have no concerns. They get $100 as well. Grace says nothing about the condition of the person that receives it. Only that it's unmerited. It's unearned. It says nothing about the condition of the individual. Patience is God's goodness in delaying the punishment towards those who sin over a period of time. In our Sunday school class this morning, those that were in my class, uh, we talked about God's electing and saving grace. And we talked about how that many people do not accept the Lord as their Savior the first time they heard the gospel. In fact, in my Sunday school class, there was not one person who said that they trusted Christ the first time they heard the gospel message. That's God's patience with us. That God is long-suffering towards us. God is kind towards us. That He puts up with our rebellion and our unbelief, our disregard for Him. That is His patience. A synonym for patience is loving kindness or long-suffering. In fact, in the English Many times, it's the same Hebrew word that's being translated as loving kindness or as patience or as long-suffering. And these three characteristics of God's nature are often mentioned together, especially in the Old Testament. Now, I didn't list all the verses. I just gave one example that's representative of this idea. When God declared His name to Moses... When Moses said, Lord, show me your glory, the Lord passed by before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, God, merciful and gracious, long-suffering, abundant in goodness and truth. Notice the three. Merciful, gracious, long-suffering. That's our word for patient. Those characteristics go hand in hand. When we think about saving grace... It's always associated with need. We were all in need when we experienced saving grace. Uh, we were to be pitied. Uh, we were in need of mercy. We were in need of God's patience. And so they often go hand in hand. There are three principal characteristics of divine grace. The first is that it's eternal. Grace was planned before it was exercised. Purpose before it was imparted. So, 2 Timothy 1.9 Who has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to His own purpose and grace, which was granted to us in Christ Jesus from all eternity. So, this grace that God was going to bestow upon us was purposed in eternity past. 
Grace was extended to us before the beginning of time. Verse uh, 2 Timothy 1.9 Grace was which granted us in Christ Jesus from all eternity. So the first characteristics of grace is that it is eternal. Second characteristic of grace is that it is free. Grace cannot be earned. Romans 11.6 But if it is by grace, it is no longer on the basis of works. Otherwise, grace is no longer grace. As soon as something is required to receive it, it's not grace. Then it's a reward or it's a payment, but it is not grace. Fundamental to the idea of grace is it is not earned, it is not merited, it is not bestowed because of anything within that creature that makes them worthy of receiving that grace. Secondly, no one has ever purchased grace being justified as a gift by His grace through the redemption which is in Christ Jesus. Grace is a gift. It always has been. And the idea that grace can be purchased is a repugnant idea. Acts 8.18 and following. When Simon saw that the Spirit was given by the laying on of the apostles' hands, he offered them money and said, Give me also this ability so that everyone on whom I lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit. Peter answered, May your money perish with you, because you thought you could buy the gift of God with money. You have no part or share in this ministry, because your heart is not right before God. Repent of this wickedness and pray to the Lord. Perhaps He will forgive you for having such a thought. Grace cannot be bought, earned, or won by the creature. If it could be, it would cease to be grace. When a thing is said to be of grace, it means that the recipient has no claim upon it, and it was not in any sense due him. It comes to him as pure charity and as first unasked and undeserved. It was the key element of the Reformation. Uh, Sola gratias. Only Grace. Only grace. Um, Martin Luther, the original, Martin Luther was moved to post the 95 theses on the church door at Wittenberg. So there were 95 issues that the monk, Martin Luther, had with the church. At that point, there were 95 things that Luther was upset about concerning the church. But the primary issue and what motivated Martin Luther to post those 95 theses on the church door was when Tetzel came through representing the Catholic Church and pronounced indulgences. Indulgences was the ability to receive the pardon or forgiveness of sins. And Tetzel was offering the greatest indulgence that had ever been experienced at that point. Tetzel came through and was representing the Pope 
and saying that you could purchase your salvation. You could purchase the forgiveness of sins. And there was a little ditty that went with Tetzel's presentation. And that was that as often as the, as soon as the coin in the coffer rings, the soul from purgatory springs. So as soon as you pay your money, you're out of purgatory. That was the straw that broke the back for Martin Luther. That's when he couldn't accept it anymore. That's when he said, it's finished, it's done, i got to take my stand. And so, up goes the 95 Theses on the church door, because he was concerned about the souls of the people in his parish that thought that they could buy their way into heaven. You can't buy your way into heaven. It is by grace. You can't work your way into heaven. You can't earn it by living a good life, by trying to turn over a new leaf. Whatever scenario you want to work on, there is just no earning grace. Thirdly, grace is sovereignly bestowed. The very fact that grace is God's unmerited favor requires that it be bestowed in a sovereign manner. In other words, the very idea... That it is not earned carries with it the idea that, well, then it must lie in the providence and will of God. There is nothing that we present to God that makes us worthy of being saved, including, including faith. Faith is a gift. Faith comes from God. He bestows it. He does not choose us because we are a people of faith or He knows that we're going to have faith. He bestows the faith. That is the very concept of grace. If it's, I bring my faith in order to be saved, then that's meritorious. Then that separates me from somebody else. That makes me worthy. And the Scripture teaches that there is no one worthy. Ephesians 2, 8, 9, you know, it by, you know it well. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. So, Romans 9, 14. What should we say then? There is no injustice with God, is there may it never be. For he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy. I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. So then it is not dependent on the man who wills or the man who runs, but on God who has mercy. God is not obligated to show saving grace to anyone, as evidenced by His not showing saving grace to fallen angels. I think that's absolutely essential for us to understand. God was under no obligation to save a single human being. There was nothing in the character of God that demanded it. And there's certainly nothing in us that demands it. And one of the things that demonstrates that is that God has not provided any salvation for the angelic world. Satan and those who fell with him have no escape. There is absolutely no provision for them to repent and to have a right relationship with God. There is no way out of their decision. Of their rebellion against God. 
Absolutely no provision whatsoever. God was not obligated to do it. And that's one of the things that the angels marvel at in Psalm 8. What is man that you're mindful of him? Why did you do this for mankind and you didn't do it for us? We're more important than man. And they are. The angels are of a higher status than we are. And yet God did not provide any salvation for them. But he does for us. And the angels marvel. And we should marvel too. Three. The very fact that God does not save everyone is proof that God is not obligated to do so. Number four. It is man's perversion of grace to believe that what is done for one must be done for all. Exodus 33:19. And he said, I myself will make all my goodness pass before you and will proclaim the name of the Lord before you and I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious. He doesn't say, I'm going to be gracious to everybody. He says, I'm going to be gracious to whom I'm going to be gracious. And I will show compassion on whom I will show compassion. Even the faith that we exercise to believe is a matter of grace. Okay. All right. Uh, I hope is review for most of us. But now I want to focus on an idea that perhaps we don't stress enough. And that is number two. Grace continues to be an important element in the life of the believer. And looking over this, I don't think I stated that strong enough. Grace continues to be the important element in the life of the believer. In the New Testament, not only the forgiveness of sins, but also the entire living of the Christian life can be seen to result from God's continuous bestowal of grace. 1 Corinthians 15.10 Paul says, But by the grace of God, I am what I am. God's grace was a motivating factor in Paul's living for God. 1 Corinthians 15.10 But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And His grace toward me did not prove vain, but I labored even more than all of them, referring to the other apostles. As the Apostle Paul looked at his life, he said, I'm the chief of sinners. He viewed himself as being a recipient of God's grace more than anyone else on the face of the earth at that time. He viewed himself as being most worthy of being condemned by God. And uh, the reason for that was... Paul recognized the atrocities that he had done in persecuting Christians. He was responsible for the death of many Christians. He was saved on the road to Damascus on a trip going with the extent, with the intention and purpose of persecuting the Christians there because he persecuted all the people he knew to persecute in Jerusalem. So now he's going to Damascus to persecute Christians there. It's on the road to Damascus that God stops him. 
And he hears this voice from heaven. Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? And he came to recognize that he wasn't just persecuting Christians. He was actually persecuting God. He said, I am the chief of all sinners. So, he says, what did that do? Well, being appreciative, he says, I worked harder than them all. But now, number two, here's the most important thing. However, even that motivation to live for God was attributable to God's grace. Notice, I'll start reading 1 Corinthians 15.10 from the beginning. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And His grace toward me did not prove in vain. But I labored even more than all of them, yet not I, but the grace of God with me. So Paul recognizes even the work that he's now doing, the ministry that he's now engaged in, this effort that he is putting forth, so that he is working harder than all the other apostles. Paul says, that's not me. That's God's grace in me. That's what God is doing in me. We have a tendency to emphasize grace up until the point of salvation. But if we're not careful, in our minds, our relationship to God changes at the point we're saved. And for too many, they begin to think about now they're trying to earn God's favor. They don't think they can earn their salvation. But once they're saved, they're back into a mode of trying to earn God's favor, trying to merit His blessing, trying to present to Him their good works or their prayers or something else that obligates Him or earns His grace in our lives. Paul wrote to the Galatian church, And he said to them, O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Is that which is begun by the Spirit made perfect by the law? God forbid. You see, what was begun in the Spirit is now not made perfect by our flesh. We're saved by grace. And our relationship to God is by grace From beginning to end. Grace will lead me home. Is what we heard sung tonight. And that is exactly right. We don't move from grace to works. From grace to merit. Our relationship to God is by grace From beginning to end. By beginning to end. Which brings us to B. Luke speaks of Antioch as the place where Paul and Barnabas had been commended to the grace of God for the work which they had fulfilled. Acts 14.26 Indicating that the church there in sending out Paul and Barnabas saw the success of their ministry as dependent upon God's continuing grace. Acts 14.26 And from there they sailed to Antioch, from which they had been commended to the grace of God 
for the work that they had accomplished. Commended to the grace of God. Not just to the Holy Spirit, but God's grace. That they were to be dependent upon God's grace. Act, they say, the power in ministry is to be attributed to the grace of God. Acts 4.33 And with great power, the apostles were giving witness to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and abundant grace was upon them all. How were the apostles giving witness to the power of the resurrection of Jesus? When I say how, what enabled them to give witness to the power of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus? Why were they able to do that? Answer, it was the grace of God. Let me look with you at a lengthy portion of Scripture and then make the application. And a certain man who had been lame from his mother's womb was being carried along when they used to sit down every day at the gate of the temple, which is called Beautiful, in order to beg alms of those who were entering the temple. And when he saw Peter and John about to go into the temple, he began asking to receive alms. And Peter, along with John, fixed his gaze upon him and said, Look at us. And he began to give them his attention, expecting to receive something from them. And Peter said, I do not possess silver and gold, but what I do have, I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ, the Nazarene, walk. And seizing him by the right hand, he raised him up, and immediately his feet and his ankles were strengthened. And with a leap, he stood upright and began to walk, and he entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God, and they were taking note of him as being the one who used to sit at the beautiful gate of the temple to beg alms. And they were so filled with wonder and amazement at what happened to him. And while he was clinging to Peter and John, all the people ran together to them at the so-called portico of Solomon, full of amazement. But when Peter saw this, he replied to the people, Men of Israel, why do you marvel at this? Or why do you gaze at us? Key words, as if by our own power or piety, we had made him walk. Why do you look at us as something special, as though we had power that other people don't have, or that we have a piety. We have a religious standard. We have a godliness that sets us apart. Peter is saying, we are no different than you are. It's not us. It's the grace of God. So easily, people fall into that, that mode, that that kind of thinking that says that the power to minister God is based on the righteousness of the individual who is ministering the Word of God. Now, should we live righteous lives? Of course we should. Should we try to be consistent with the Gospel 
message? The answer is, of course, we should try to be consistent. Does the power rest in our consistency? The answer is no. 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 You can be saved by hearing the gospel from a person who's a charlatan. You can be saved by hearing the gospel from somebody who himself is not saved. Paul writes to the Philippians and says because of his imprisonment, it emboldened people to share the gospel. He says some do it of sincerity. Some do it of insincerity, hoping to add misery to my chains. But he said, whether in sincerity or insincerity, he rejoices that the gospel is going forth. Sometimes people are amazed when they hear about preachers who've had uh, adulterous relationships, affairs, homosexuality, you name it. Things that they have hidden. And people look at them and say, I would never have known. I never would have guessed. Because they know people that were saved under that ministry. Or people that were blessed under that ministry. It's the Word of God that brings the blessing. It's not the personal righteousness of the person who's declaring the message. It's solely in the power of God. And it's very subtle. But it robs God of the glory that He deserves and the humility that we must show forth to say, if God is using us, praise Him because it's grace. It's grace. None of us deserve to be used of Him. We should acknowledge God's grace in counting us to be faithful. Not in some false humility, but in some true humility. Who am I to preach the Word of God? It's God's grace. If I had to rely upon my righteousness, I'd have been out of here a long time ago. It's not about who we are. It's about the grace of of God. And as Christians, we tend to want to move toward a, a works oriented, pious righteousness. And it's wrong. And it's wrong. Here, meanwhile, we should want to live holy lives. We should want to live righteous lives. But it's not the basis of the power of God. I think one of the examples of that that uh, comes shining home is um, Gordon MacDonald was and is a pastor who wrote a book that many people found tremendously helpful. It was entitled um, Ordering Your Private Life. I read it. I found it to be very helpful, convicting about how we need to have our, our private lives in order. Not just public lives, but behind the scenes of which nobody knows anything about. He wrote that book. It was used by many. It was a bestseller. And it came out eventually that while he was writing that book, he was having an affair. 
That's kind of the height of hypocrisy. But it wasn't, you see, his private life that gave power to what he wrote. It was that what he wrote was consistent with what the Word of God taught. Again, it's, it's the Word of God that brings the power. It's not our own personal righteousness. D. Paul's prayer for his readers is that they would experience the grace of God. Paul opens his letters with a pronouncement of God's grace. Example, Romans 1.7. To all who are beloved of God in Rome, call the saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father and Lord Jesus Christ. 1 Corinthians 1.3. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and Lord Jesus Christ. Galatians 1.13. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul not only began his letters in pronouncement of grace, but he ends his letters with a pronouncement of grace. Ephesians 6.24. Grace be with you all. All those who love our Lord Jesus Christ with a love incorruptible. Colossians 4.18. I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. Remember my imprisonment. Grace be with you all. 1 Timothy 6.21. Grace be with you all. 2 Timothy 4.22. Grace be with you all. Titus 3.15. Grace be with you all. Hebrews 13.25. Grace be with you all. Beginning and end. That's our understanding of grace. The epistles start with grace. They end with grace. That should be our understanding of the Christian life. It's all about grace from beginning to end. Now, E. It is our responsibility as believers to grow in grace. 2 Peter 3.18 But grow in grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. So, what does that mean? What are we to do? How are we to grow in grace? First, we grow in grace as we better understand the work that our Lord has done for us. 2 Peter 3.18 But grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, to Him be glory. We grow in grace as we understand more and more the glory of salvation and the goodness of God in saving us. Secondly, we grow in grace as we give Him the glory for all the goodness that we experience. To Him be glory both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. And so we're going to be singing His praises for all eternity for the grace that He has shown to us. And we grow in grace as we increase our dependency upon grace. You foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Before whose eyes Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed and crucified. This is the only thing I want to find out from you. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish, having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? So, application A. To grow in grace is not to increase grace in our lives. That's impossible. We are never commanded to increase God's grace in our life. If we were, then it wouldn't be grace. Then we'd earned it. 
somehow. We're not to increase in grace as though I'm getting yet more grace. Having said that, the last point under D, for of his fullness we have all received in grace upon grace. We are constantly receiving grace upon grace upon grace upon grace. We are constantly confessing our sins, asking God for forgiveness, and he continually bestows his grace upon us. We never get away from the need of experiencing the grace of God. Having said that, but you see, we don't increase somehow God's grace being poured out upon us. What increases is our understanding of grace and our dependence upon grace. The more we know about God and the more we know about ourselves, the more we should be thankful for God's grace because, oh God, I don't deserve anything. I can't present my righteousness to you and expect that you're going to answer my prayer based on my righteousness, based on my goodness, based on my faithfulness, based on my track record. The only way that I can expect God to hear and answer my prayers is because of His grace. But He promises to show me His grace. He who began a good work in you will perform it to the day of Jesus Christ. We're going to be a recipient of His grace from now into eternity. We never move away from a need of the grace. So what we need to do is grow in our understanding of I am a sinner who has been, who is, and will be saved by grace. And my relationship to God is a matter of grace. Quit trying to earn His favor. And rejoice in the favor that He bestows. Rejoice that you are accepted in the Beloved. That you are accepted in Jesus Christ. That your hope for eternal life is the grace of God. And your standing before Him is a matter of grace. I know the fear is that if you teach that, then people are just going to go off and live any way they want. But the Apostle Paul shows us the true reality when he says, By the grace of God I am what I am. And I labored even more than all of them. When Paul understood the grace of God, it was not, well then, let's go live in all kinds of sinfulness. For Paul, it was a motivation. Understanding the grace of God, he said, oh God, how worthy you are of my submitting myself to you. How worthy you are. How can I ever repay you? And the answer is you can't. You can't. You can't ever pay God back for what he's done for you. You can't ever earn. You can't. Get beyond His grace. And it should cause us to love Him. And now we serve Him not to earn His favor, but out of a sheer desire to promote His glory. 
as an expression of gratitude. As a sense of peace in our heart and mind. Once and for all, I am right with God because of Jesus Christ. Period. Period. I am right with God because of Jesus Christ. You're right with God because of Jesus Christ. You are accepted with God because of Jesus Christ. Your prayers are heard by God because of Jesus Christ. It's all about Christ and His grace. And if someone is saved through our ministry, it's because of Jesus Christ and His grace. It's not our goodness. It's not our righteousness. It's not our power. It's the grace of God. Grow in grace. Understand God's grace in your life. Be at peace and rejoice and be thankful for the grace of God that we experience. Let's pray.